Fishing around weeds and vegetation can be an exercise in frustration, but it can also be an excellent way to catch fish, and we're going to talk about that on this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I'm Chad Lachance, and you're listening to Fishful Thinker, the podcast. All things fishful, all the time. Hey guys, Chad Lachance here once again. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I appreciate it very much as always. We'd also appreciate it if you'd visit the fine folks at Sportsman's Warehouse. Visit them at sportsmans.com or one of 136 stores nationwide. They've been a partner of all things Fishful since the earliest days in 2004. So we'd appreciate you giving them some of your support next time you need some Outdoor gear. Guys, it's the middle of summertime. We're heading into 4th of July weekend, and that is just a really good time to be outside, right? Everybody wants to be outside. We're camping, we're celebrating, uh, but we're also fishing, and we're fishing a lot. And by this time of year, in most places around the country, uh, in freshwater situations, uh, you're going to potentially have aquatic vegetation to deal with. And it really doesn't matter a whole lot about uh, what species of fish you're fishing for. They'll all, in some way, shape, or form, uh, benefit from having aquatic vegetation. Uh, a couple things I want to talk about specifically today on this podcast about vegetation. And some of it's come up because of a video that I posted a couple of days ago, which is something like 310 or 15,000 views in a couple of days, which told me that, which is a lot of views for, for me as a, as a fishing media guy. Uh, that video is on the Fishful Taker Facebook page. I think I also posted it, or we did also post it on the Instagram page as well. And uh, I don't think we put that one on YouTube, but there's uh, more than 610 other videos on YouTube for you to check out on our Fishful Thinker YouTube channel. But what got me about this video was not that it got that many views, although that was a surprise, <clears throat> uh, but uh, there seemed to be a lot of misconceptions about fishing and vegetation. And anytime you get that many people to, to watch and view something, you're going to get love mail and hate mail at the same time. And uh, without question, I got that. And some people told me I didn't know what I was doing. Some people telling me, oh my God, that's crazy. You're going to lose your lure. Other people telling me, uh, man, good job, way to get after them. So it just depends on, on your mindset. But what I really noticed more than anything else is the negative comments that I got were mostly tied to people not understanding the situation. And in a particular video, I was throwing a Berkeley ghillie, which is a, a bluegill-looking bait. I had it Texas rigged. If you're not familiar with the Texas rig, I've got that all over our YouTube channel. Go look at it. It basically makes your lure very weedless, uh, like, like as close as you can get to pure weedless. And... It allows you to throw it in places you wouldn't normally throw. And so I'm staying well back from a willow, willow bush for a couple of reasons, which I'll go to in a minute. And I'm making long pitches to it and letting this, this ghillie swim down through the holes in the canopy of the willow bush. And I think the, the biggest misconception of a lot of people is like first right off the bat was, well, fish around the edges of it. Well, okay, that's fine. But unless you understand the structure of the aquatic vegetation a little bit, or once you understand it, you'll know why that's not a great deal. And so it was the comments around those that particular video that kind of got me thinking we should probably do a whole podcast about vegetation. So let's, let's delve into some of that. 
First of all, you have two basic kinds uh, to deal with, and one of them is aquatic and one of them is terrestrial, right? Obviously, one grows on land and one grows in water. And somebody's going to say, well, how are you going to fish the ones that grow on land? Well, I live in the western United States, and we fish reservoirs most of the time, and reservoirs fluctuate up and down a lot. And this particular water year, <clears throat> excuse me, we have a tremendous amount of water in the system, thankfully. We've been in drought years for so long. Uh, farmer buddies begging for rain, <clears throat> people praying for rain. Well, we got rain and snow this year. And unless you live in a hole somewhere, you probably realize like piles come up like 60 some feet, 65 feet, I think I heard. Uh, as of a couple of days ago, uh, my home lake fluctuates 60 vertical feet a year. Uh, so I'm used to it moving up and down, but when it gets up to the stage where it's at right now, and most of the reservoirs around Colorado are at right now, uh, and I know Wyoming is and, and others as well, they're so high that there's terrestrial vegetation in the water and a lot of it. And so we have like 10,000 cottonwoods that are in the water right now on my home lake and also a bunch of willow bushes and some other stuff that's in the water that normally would not be in the water it's on dry ground <clears throat> and i've run into that in all of our travels there's high water everywhere so the terrestrial vegetation is in play at this time of year but it's not just the willow bushes and the cottonwood trees and the stuff like that that i'm referencing i'm also referencing the grass the terrestrial grasses in my case around my lake there's a lot of brom grass and or brome grass wherever you say it i'm not a grass expert but uh at any rate i believe they call it brome grass and it's like two feet tall and it's now got water in it and so that will also provide opportunities for fishing that you wouldn't normally have so uh, on the western slope one of the lakes i visited over there uh, had been low for several years to the point where the sage started growing back around the edges of the lake and it flooded and there's fish in the sagebrush which catching fish in sagebrush is really strange but there's fish in the sagebrush we fished a place in western nebraska where i was literally had a 21-foot ranger bass boat in a hayfield, fishing in the hayfield. And you say, well, why would you fish in the hayfield? Well, because the reservoir got so high that it backed up the inlet ditch. It came all the way up the ditch. We were able to get basically a full mile from the reservoir up the ditch, and then it spilled out and flooded the fields. And when it did, there was almost three feet of water in this big old hay field. And so the biggest threat I had to deal with in fishing it was not hitting barbed wire fences that were in water. So it was literally a hay field. And the reason I know it was a hay field is there were still stacks of hay bales that they didn't get moved in time before it flooded. So the and it was slam full of pike and largemouth, I want to point out. So these fish made it like a mile up the ditch and then dispersed into a hay field to eat. I'm seeing the same thing uh, pretty much everywhere. Another lake that I used to guide on, I don't need more, uh, but it was low until late in the summer, or late in the spring, I should say, and then it filled in the course of a few days, and that flooded like hundreds of acres of terrestrial vegetation, and the fish love that stuff for a short period of time. So the terrestrial vegetation is definitely a possibility and also aquatic vegetation. Now, just about the polar opposite, my home lake has no aquatic vegetation of any kind and it has to do with the soil quality and the fact that it fluctuates so much over the course of the year. Uh, so we don't have any aquatic vegetation here, but we do in all the ponds around here and all the smaller lakes around here. Um, classic one being American pondweed, which grows up and lays over on the side. It's a big vine that grows from the bottom all the way to the surface. 
and then lays over and, and uh, basically floats itself there on the surface. Uh, we've got elodia grass and a few other aquatic weeds around here. And I'm not, this is not a podcast on identifying, you know, horny goat weed versus, you know, uh, whatever, what milfoil. This is not that, that's not what we're here to do. We're to talk about the concepts of fishing them. I can't even tell you the name of a whole bunch of the vegetation uh, that's out there aquatic wise. And to be honest, it's a weakness in my game because I probably should. I know what they look like and I know what preferences the fish have. And that's been good enough for me over the years. But uh, at any rate, the uh, my home lake, again, doesn't have any. The ponds around here have lots, and some of those flatter reservoirs have lots of aquatic vegetation. And in some cases, those two are going to overlap significantly as well, and, uh, and then you really got questions. So the first thing we have to decide is which vegetation are we going to fish? So let's break it down first with terrestrial and then, uh, and then aquatic, because terrestrial is a little shorter story. The... For me, what it comes down to is the stuff that is most naturally associated with water is also the best for catching fish in and around. So, in other words, a willow bush is better at catching, of holding fish than uh, a serviceberry bush, which we have here uh, underwater as well, uh, or flooded to the point where only the top of the bush is sticking out of the water. And... I think it has to do with the fact that Mother Nature designed it that way. A willow bush is part of the aquatic system. They're designed to flood and not flood. They live on the edges of the water, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. They're designed to be there. Mother Nature built them to be there. Something like a serviceberry bush wouldn't be anywhere near water, except for the fact that they built a reservoir here <laughs> and flooded a bunch of it. And so it's it ends up being at the high water mark, and then when the lake gets crazy full, it floods it and it's in the water. In my experience, bushes and trees, uh, particularly pine trees being a key one, if they are in the water, they are not good for fishing. And the cottonwoods around here, a lot of guys, I've been guiding on this lake for 20 years, guys will tell me, oh man, they're all in the cottonwoods, they're in the cottonwoods, but it doesn't have anything to do with the trees. That's the part that I think people are missing, and they're sitting there throwing at the base of every cottonwood tree. That's fine, but the fish are dispersed all through the cottonwood trees. It's really the shade that's holding the fish. And so if those cottonwood trees don't have good rock cover on them, on the bank underneath them, then they don't hold fish. It's not about the trees. It's all about the the bottom content of the lake and the shade that those cottonwood trees are are, are uh throwing there. We keep in the sun, right? So, and it doesn't matter if we're talking about bass or walleyes or trout. I caught one of the prettiest trout you have ever seen cruising through the shade in the willows at 10 o'clock in the morning, an absolutely stunningly beautiful cut bow that had the best colors literally I think I've ever seen. And I watched him feeding around for a couple of minutes. He was, I had the boat parked and I was watching him feeding around I finally couldn't stand it anymore and decided I had to see if I could catch him. And I got him on the first try with a gulp minnow, but he was cruising around feeding in those in those cottonwoods as well. And he was cruising right under the surface getting bugs, but he was still cruising around in the cottonwoods and the bugs are there because of the, the trees. Same thing with the willow bushes. I've seen lots of bugs in the willow bushes and I spend a lot of time around the willow bushes. I have some willows that are right behind my house, right on the bank. I can cast to them from my deck. 
And there is a tremendous amount of life that lives under willow bushes. But if you go to the cottonwood trees, there's not. And you go to the service berries, there's nothing around them. And so when you're picking your vegetation, particularly terrestrial, first thing I'm going to do is try stuff that's near the water normally. Now, I already started this podcast off saying, oh, well, we fished a hayfield and caught a bunch of bass and we all and, and pike. And we all know that those hayfields are not aquatic <laughs> vegetation or excuse me, terrestrial vegetation has anything to do with, with water normally. So it's not a foregone conclusion. Boyd Lake, another lake here in town, tons of, of that brome grass is flooded. There's fish all through it. And what will happen, though, is if that stuff stays flooded very long, that, that grass will die. And as it dies, fish will leave. And that's a key thing to keep in mind when you're talking about fishing any sort of green vegetation that's underwater. It needs to be green. If the weeds are dying, you're in a low percentage area. If they're dead, you're for sure in a low percentage area because once weeds die, then they start off-gassing the other way around. Rather than producing oxygen, they are now using oxygen as they decay. And that will then create water quality stuff and dissolved oxygen issues and a few other things. So the biggest thing about terrestrial vegetation, if you're going to fish it, is it needs to be freshly flooded. If it's old terrestrial vegetation and it's already been underwater for you know a month and it's dead, well, now your, your percentages are going to go down a whole bunch. So that's one of the key things. Incidentally, the willow bushes I talk about, they flood every year. They're underwater a lot of the year. Any year we get a high water year and it does not kill them. And I think that's also part of the the scenario right there is they just stay alive. But, but again, I took my stand-up paddleboard and, and park right next to the willow bush where you can really look underneath it and see what's in around it. And there's just so much life under there, it makes you want to fish. Now, here's a couple key things about it. And this is where that video I mentioned came in. If you're going to fish the aquatic or the terrestrial vegetation, you typically need to fish right in it, not around the edges of it. Or, you know, like you might fish grass edges if you're talking about, um, you know, aquatic veg. But we're talking about a willow bush. And the thing about a willow bush is it's got a giant canopy, like tree, and it has a very relatively small um, system of branches or trunks that go down and touch the bottom. There's one of them behind my house that I measured that is basically 30 feet across the, the, the willow bush itself, okay? It is seven feet from the bottom of the canopy, which is very level because that's the normal high water mark. When the lake comes all the way up, the, the part that, of the willow where the leaves die is right at the high water mark. So the part from there up is what, what thrives is a willow bush. And it's better part of 30 feet across the canopy. And it's depending on which side of the bush you're on, somewhere around five to seven feet from the bottom of the canopy to the lake bed underneath it when there's no water. I've measured it and played all in it when there's no water in the lake. The Between the size of the canopy and the size of the trunk of the trees, there is at least five or six feet of horizontal canopy that is completely uh, invisible when the lake's full. In other words, it looks like the willow bush is just a big round bush and it goes all the way to the bottom, but it doesn't. And when you look from underwater at what where the fish sit under there, they sit around the trunks. They don't just sit out in the open part of the willow bush where there's nothing but just the overhanging canopy. When I have looked at them, they sit around the trunk. 
These days, I also will throw my active target uh, beams on them, right? Show my forward-facing sonar in there, and I've confirmed that with myself repeatedly. Again, they really congregate right around the trunk. Well, if you throw something around the outside of the canopy because it's easy, you're nowhere near those fish. Your bait's five, six, seven feet from those fish, and maybe some of them will come out and grab it, but the big ones you're looking for are not. The, I mean, any good bass guy knows that. You take your bait right to the fish, right? When you're flipping cover, you put your bait right where the fish is. And so the way to fish those willow bushes, and this is where I caught a bunch of heat from people, is by staying back a little bit through it and literally throwing right in the canopy of the tree and letting it go down to the trunks underneath. If you throw around the edge of the canopy, you're not around the fish. And... A lot of people think I'm crazy for throwing in the middle of those trees until you yank a big old smolly out of there. But the key is you have to throw right around the the uh, core part of the willow, not around the outside of it. And again, when they're really aggressive or there's 30 of them under there, yeah, you might throw a wacky rig around the edge of it and let it go down and, and you might pick some fish up without question. But you want to catch them every time, you need to throw something to the heart of the vegetation. And that's really important. So... Um, for me, the terrestrial vegetation is the most specialized um, patterns and applications in general. Uh, you know, another lake that we fish the uh, terrestrial vegetation a lot is up in Glendo in Wyoming, Glendo Reservoir, which has uh, like 12,000 acres, has lots of big bays that flood. Uh, whenever we get a good water year, they flood, and they're watering the cottonwood trees there. Uh, and around the willow bushes there can be anywhere from zero to eight or nine feet deep, same as it is here at my home lake, maybe even 10 or 12 feet deep in, on a few of the deepest trees. Uh, so you've got a, quite a bit of water to deal with. It's a lot of water column to deal with. And a good southern bass guy that's got a bunch of vegetation might have two feet of water to deal with, maybe three feet of water to deal with. But when you got, say, 10 feet to deal with, you add a lot of variables. The deeper the water is, the more variables you have. And, and that's a key thing. But at Glendo Reservoir, the same thing holds there as here. The walleyes love the willows. They use the deep spots or the natural channels through the cottonwood trees to get to the backs of these bays. And then they pile in all in and around all the willows and things like that. And what I find the best scenario is when you find willows and cottonwoods together, you're in the hunt. One thing I can tell you about the willows at least around here on my home lake is anywhere they grow, it's A, a little bit of a flat spot, and B, it's for sure got some sandiness or, or grittiness to the soil. It's not a lot of rock, and it's certainly not a bunch of mud. It's got a, a good mixture of, of hard bottom, but not too hard a bottom. And I think that's also part of the situation. Mother Nature designed them that way, uh, but they won't grow in the same places the cottonwoods grow in all cases. Uh, they might grow right next to the cottonwoods, but they don't always at the same time. But when you find cottonwoods and willows together, it can be an excellent, uh, excellent place for you to fish. So uh, another good example of using terrestrial vegetation uh, to tell you what's going on. Uh, I just talked about a second ago that the cottonwoods will grow along the ditches that fill the bays because they naturally want that water in the off years. 
It's easy to follow the ditches by following the cottonwoods that you can see above the water. It's easier than trying to keep track of them on a sonar unit or something like that. You can follow the ditches and the fish will use those ditches very commonly to get in and out of bays. And a whole lot of walleyes wish guys didn't know that because they just had a big tournament up there and guys anchor up in the trees and they put slip barbers with minnows under them and they catch a lot of walleyes up in those trees. And the walleyes seem to do the same thing they do here. They just roam around the cottonwoods themselves. They don't sit necessarily on the cottonwoods they roam around them but they will sit on the willow bushes so that's a key thing right there uh, another example I, I coached and won the 2016 costa high school bass fishing national championship uh, on kentucky lake and it was all about the uh, vegetation there to some degree as well but it wasn't again it wasn't the aquatic vegetation that you think of it was the terrestrial vegetation that clued me in a whole bunch so there was two key components one was willows and one was cypress trees and and actually i'm not even sure they were willows there's some they looked like willows but they're slightly different than at least the willows i i know of here in the western united states but clearly they were aquatic because they again grew along the ditches. And at that particular time of year when we were there, Kentucky Lake was really high. And the it was very easy to see where the ditch would be filling up each of the pockets we were fishing because each pocket has a ditch somewhere coming off the hillside, a natural ditch. It was very easy to find where that ditch came in uh, and have some idea how often water was there because of one key thing. If there's a cypress tree growing there, it's got water year-round. If there's not a cypress tree growing there, it may or may not have water year-round. But I know from growing up in South Florida that cypress trees have to have water around their roots. And uh, and so they are the key indicator. So I can pull in a pocket. It might be 400 yards across and, and 200 yards deep. And there's one cypress tree. Well, that cypress tree is going to be on the ditch that feeds that pocket. I promise you. It's not going to grow in a high spot or anything like that. It's going to grow where it has water all the time. So the lake's a couple feet up. Now it floods everything. You can't see the ditch, but you can see the cottonwood tree. And so from a hundred yard, or excuse me, the uh, cypress tree and you know, 300 yards out in the boat, I can say we're going to go right there and fish. I've never even been in this pocket, but we're going to go right to there. And invariably, when you get there, you're going to find there's a little bit of deeper water right there. The ditches are more subtle, but they're a foot or two deeper than everything around them. And also what we found around a lot of those was small little alluvial fans of sand. And in that particular tournament, Kentucky Lake's not known for its smallmouth. And I want to point out, this was the last weekend in July. It's not necessarily known for its smallmouth, but we weighed smallmouth five pounds every day. And the reason we were able to do that is because, or what we figured out to catch those is they were on those alluvial fans. They loved that sand that came in and washed in right next to all those cypress trees. So we either caught largemouth in the cypress trees or we caught smallmouth on the sand right next to them. And the there was only one or two cypress trees in any of the bays. There's not like a whole forest of them like you might see at Cato Lake or something like that. There's one cypress tree because we're in Kentucky, not the deep south, you know. And it made all the difference in the world just figuring out those fish patterns. So key thing there. So let's step a little bit away from the terrestrial vegetation uh, and talk some nuances about aquatic vegetation. And... Here it's going to be more just nuances, guys. Not too much heavy-duty stuff, but nuances. Whenever I'm fishing around aquatic vegetation that grows in volume, like lots of it, uh, like you might find with uh, with milfoil in certain areas, uh, 
or Elodia grass here in Colorado, you'll get ponds where it's solid Elodia grass as far as you can see across them uh, that's aquatic. And when I'm fishing that, I want to fish the edges of it if at all possible. The inside edge, the outside edge, any holes that might be in it, uh, any turns in the edge, anything like that, rather than try to get in the middle of it and, and fight with the fish that might be in there. And yes, there's fish in there, just like there's fish in the middle of the willow bushes, but the chances of finding them are harder because there's acres and acres and acres of it. And you can fish for a long time and not get any bites. And But if you focus on the edges, you can be more efficient. Um, you might miss some fish, but you're also going to have a higher percentage of landings of fish that you get bit, and you're not going to drive yourself crazy doing it. So anytime I have a big, giant patch, I always like to fish the edges and holes and detail spots in it rather than trying to fish a whole big, giant patch of, say, milfoil. And I've watched some top-level pros from in their boats uh, fishing milfoil, and they'll make a no problem making 300 pitches in straight into the grass and no bites and keep going because when they do get one bite, it's going to be a big one and they'll do it. But most anglers don't have the stomach for that. Fish the edges and you'll be better off. Uh, I can I can tell you that. Um, uh, one thing that I always look for in vegetation too, aquatic vegetation, if at all possible, is... Um, a combination of two kinds together, same as the willow bush and the cottonwood or whatever the case might be. I want more than one kind of vegetation together is going to be better. Or uh, along those same lines, any kind of hard cover within that vegetation is really good. So a standing log with, you know, standing tree with vegetation growing around it can be really, really good. Um, or even a floating log or a single boulder. I was fishing a tournament up in Knox and Rapids in Montana, and there was just random boulders laying out in this big flat. They must have rolled off the hill a million years ago. Big giant boulders. Well, that flat was also covered in this, in this um, aquatic veg, but every one of those boulders had fish on it, and I couldn't catch fish anywhere in the veg, but they were on the boulders and, and right around the veg. So I couldn't catch them in the grass itself, but I could catch them around the boulders that were in the grass, but I couldn't catch them around boulders that weren't in the grass. So the grass was obviously a key part of it, but it was the rock that was holding them there, these big boulders that was holding them there. And so that was a key thing. So anytime I find anything hard that's growing in vegetation or that is there. Or a dock is another good example. Uh, we fished a lake in Minnesota and a homeowner had, was using his boat literally while we were there to power the vegetation out, using throttle on the boat and the propeller to blow the vegetation out of his slip. Well, I guarantee you, I didn't fish it because he was doing that. But I guarantee you, you come back and fish his boat slip, uh, you're going to find fish in there because he has now created a clean spot in the otherwise giant amount of vegetation that was overgrowing that whole side of the lake. So, uh, again, anything different in the vegetation is really important. Um, the the other thing or another thing that I think is really good about or, or really critical with vegetation is anytime you have cattails. And to be honest, I'm not sure that a cattail is uh, aquatic or terrestrial, I guess, because I've seen them grow both. Um, but I believe they're largely terrestrial or largely aquatic. And if I've got water in cattails, it doesn't have to be very much. If the fish can float in it, um, there's I'm going to fish it. And for me, cattails are more all about bass than anything else, whereas all the rest of the vegetation I've talked about could be any species out there. Um, but the the when you start talking about uh, 
you know, dealing with straight bass fishing, like hardcore bass fishing, cattails are a, a, can be a great thing to fish, and I love fishing them. And it does not take very much water. So if you've got just a little bit of cattails, I would fish it. If you're a pond guy and you fish around the banks, I would make sure every time of season, every whatever, any time of year, I would at least get some casts as close as I could to the edges of the outside edge of those cattails. In the big boat, I might pull all the way up in the cattails, depending on how much water's in them. Um, I fished with a, with a buddy out in eastern Colorado one time, and I, I jammed an 11-foot Coleman crawdad so far back into the cattails, I don't even think it was actually floating anymore, and then pitched 20 feet back into the cattails from there and caught all kinds of bass in there. So the bass love cattails, but in my experience, not a lot of other species necessarily do. Another aquatic one that uh, similar to cattails is pencil reeds and buggy whips, pencil reeds. There's a bunch of different kind of names for them, but they're skinny and they stick up out of the grass or out of the water. Typically, uh, they grow off the bottom, but they're not as densely packed as cattails. Again, a fantastic place to fish for multi-species, particularly uh, pike. Pike love pencil reeds. Uh, bass love pencil reeds. Um, I've seen a whole bunch of trout in little reeds that grow on the edges of beaver ponds up in the high country. They, the brookies will cruise around in those reeds, and I know they're getting they're getting uh, bugs of all sorts from those from those reeds. So any sort of a little pencil reed that's sticking up, or a little uh, like I said, buggy whips. There's all kinds of slang terms for them. I don't even know what they're technically called, but they're Long, whippy little things that stick straight up. They're easy to fish through. You can fish them with trebled baits even if you need to, but they're relatively easy to fish fish through and around. And so, but again, same with the terrestrial vegetation. It needs to be green and healthy if at all possible. Dead cattails are not your friends. So, uh, you know, dead lodiagrass or even milfoil for that matter, a whole bunch of milfoil that's dead, not your friend. Might be your friend when it's green, not your friend when it dies. And so you want to keep that in mind. You're always looking for the greenest weeds in the system, if at all possible. In the spring, I did a podcast in spring talking about fishing ponds because they warm up quickly. And the first thing I told everybody to do was go look for the first green vegetation you can find. Well, I could reverse that as we go into fall and say, stay away from any of the stuff that's starting to die and go look for any that's green or fish something besides vegetation, one or the other. Because, again, for, like I said, the off-gassing of, of dissolved oxygen uh, is not there, and uh, it's the other way around once they die, and they're burning up uh, oxygen from the water. So we don't want to fish around that. Let's go real quick about uh, a couple of key things for fishing around vegetation. First of all, for me, it's a braided line game. Okay, it's If I'm fishing literally vegetation specifically, flooded grass, uh, willow bushes, milfoil, anything like that um, in braided line because fish are going to get you in that stuff for one. The braided line will cut it. Uh, for two, you have just straight tensile strength. Three, you have really good bite detection, really good. And one of the hardest parts about fishing, especially in really dense vegetation, uh, is detecting the bites. And you know the, the, the video that got this idea for this whole podcast going, I pitched into this tree the bites are very hard to detect because the, the, the environment is very busy. As the bait goes down through the trees, you can't tell did it hang on a tree. It might feel spongy when you go to pick up on it like a fish has it because it's on a, a soft limb. Because keep in mind, everything we're talking about is alive. We're not talking about fishing, you know, dead 
you know, bushes that died 10 years ago and now they're stick-ups. We're not doing that. We're talking about green vegetation, of whether it be terrestrial or aquatic. So they're soft and spongy, so it's hard to feel a bite. And so anything that will help me feel that bite is going to be very important. So braid is, is going to be critical. Uh, and it's typically going to be heavy. The one good thing about vegetation, or a good thing about it, is that fish are comfortable in there. It contains a tremendous amount of life uh, in terms of bugs and, and things like that. Also, it contains a tremendous amount of dissolved oxygen, and also it gives them cover. So the fish are very comfortable. Uh, they're not typically line spooky in there at all. Uh, birds can't get to them in there as easy, and so they can be, you know, uh, really comfortable when they're in there. And uh, and therefore, they're not line shy. It's an easy way to get to get fish with braided line. And usually around vegetation, I'm at bare minimum of 30, and it could be as high as 80. Uh, pound test, depending on what exactly I'm doing. If I'm throwing a frog, a, a weedless frog, over the top of matted vegetation uh, or some kind of slop, uh, then I'm probably an 80-pound. If I'm throwing a Texas rig into a bush somewhere, uh, willow bushes, I'm probably 50 or 65-pound. And it's only if I'm fishing over the top of vegetation that isn't all the way to the surface to where I might throw something a little bit lighter than that. And also, the overwhelming majority of it is done in casting tackle, again, because of the baits and the lures, the, the weight we need to do to do that. So even if I'm fishing, let's say, Glendo for walleyes, and I did a whole TV show by taking literally four-inch gulp minnows and Texas rigging them with an eighth-ounce pegged sinker and then throwing it on 50-pound, straight 50-pound braid into willow bushes to catch walleyes. And and it's my regular flipping stick. It's my bass rod. It's not a walleye rod. Most walleye guys probably don't even have a rod like that. But I got walleyes in, by doing that and some nice ones at that. So, again, the braided line, you're going to have a heavy rod. It's not, this is not the place for finesse fishing. Uh, that was the other thing. A lot of people mocked me. Oh, you have 50-pound test. That's cheating. Well, look where I'm throwing the lure, right? It's... Even if even if I hook a 12-inch bass in there, the chances of him wrapping me around something are pretty good, and I need to have the tensile strength to pull on him and and all of that, everything, every part of it. I need to know I'm bit as soon as I get bit because if he swims very far, he's going to get me more messed up in the in the stuff. So you need to detect the bite, get the fish turned towards you, and get him out of there as fast as you can. This is not a place to be playing fish, so to speak. We want him in the boat right now. So lastly, uh, everything, I want big hooks in vegetation because I need to pull on stuff. I want strong hooks around vegetation, and I definitely uh, want weedlessness of some sort, which should go without saying. Uh, a Texas rig being a key one, some sort of a weed guard is another one, whether it be a wire weed guard or whatever the case might be, a, a filament weed guard, whatever, some sort of a weed guard. And I'm going to throw this out there because I'm in Colorado. I'm going to conclude this podcast with this. If you're not a, let's say you're a trout guy and you turned this podcast off a while ago because you're not, I don't fish around them. All the biggest trout I catch every year in the fall, I fish for brown trout every year in the fall. All the biggest ones I catch are around the aquatic vegetation and they might be on the outside edge of it. They might be over the top of it because it doesn't grow quite to the surface. They might be on the inside edge of it up against the bank, particularly the ones that are getting closer to spawning. Uh, but they're always around the vegetation. And as soon as I get away from the vegetation, I get away from the trout too. So uh, some of the best trout lakes in Colorado are such good trout lakes because they have so much vegetation in them. So uh, all the North Park lakes, South Park lakes, 
which are both very, very famous. Even if you're not from Colorado, you might be familiar with some of those lakes. Uh, if you're a trout guy at all, the vegetation is the basis for why they grow like crazy. Some of the Laramie Plains Lake, same thing. The vegetation there is what makes the fish grow like crazy. So don't let vegetation scare you. Make sure that you're, like you would with any other lure presentation, match your system, right? Choose your bait first and your line and go back from there. So the Texas rig is probably the most common thing for me to throw around uh, vegetation, but I might throw a spinner bait. I might throw a, a tube jig of some sort. I mean, there's a lot of things I might throw, but they're all going to have significant weed protection on the hook or whatever, and that's going to require a reasonably stout hook set as well. Even the trout in, in some of the North Park lakes, unless you can get them to come up out of the vegetation and grab a hard plug on the surface, which is typically what I'll try to do first. Uh, but if they're down in that veg, you've got to do something totally different to catch them. And I'm, I'm going to close with this last last little tidbit right here. Guy came to me one time, and he had a he had a private lake he was fishing, and he said it was full of vegetation, but he'd always heard there was big trout in there, but he couldn't get any lure in there, and he didn't have any idea how he was going to catch these trout. So I showed him how to Texas rig a three-inch crayfish because he told me there was crayfish all over the banks that the raccoons were dragging up on the banks and eating, leaving the shells. And so I taught, I, I sold him a bag of three-inch uh, soft plastic crayfish, and a Texas rig, and I taught him how to Texas rig it, and I showed him all up, and I'm like, take this. I got him braided line for his rod, got him all squared away. This is when I worked in the fish department at Sportsman's Warehouse, sent him on his way. Uh, he comes back about two weeks later, and he shows me a picture of this ridiculous, ridiculous rainbow trout with that three-inch uh, crayfish buried in its face with a 4 aught extra wide gap worm hook in a trout. So uh, I, he said he threw that crayfish right over the top of the vegetation, just let it drag along the tops of the vegetation, and he caught all kinds of fish with it. And he thought it was the best thing ever because I taught him about a Texas rig to the point where he said they should change it to the Colorado rig. But at any rate, that's been the long podcast for me, guys. So I'm going to cut this one short. I feel like I kind of rambled a little bit on that, but hopefully you'll get some tidbits from it that'll uh, that'll help you out. If you have questions, send me an email, chat at fishfulthinker.com. Uh, and and a personal plea, please check out our YouTube channel. Uh, we're really trying to get that thing doing good. It's, it's over a couple million views at this point. Um, so that's at Fishful Thinker. Uh, if you'd check that out, we'd appreciate it very much for joining the conversation on Facebook or Instagram. So thanks for listening. This has been Fishful Thinker, the podcast. <laughs>